All right, good morning. Uh, my name is Amanda. I am the high school pastor here, so I get to lead our awesome encounter students and volunteers. Yeah, encounter. And um, I am really honored to get to represent our first Advent candle, which is the candle of hope. And honestly, I think that hope is something that we are all looking for more of this year. Hope that things might go back to some kind of normal. Hope that our families are gonna be okay in all the uncertainties of this season. Maybe hope that we won't have to spend another semester homeschooling our kids while we try and keep them out of the background of our Zoom meetings. Um, and I think we all just need hope that God is still in control. And this topic of hope really hit home for me this past week um, because on Wednesday, we lost my husband's wonderful grandpa to COVID. And for a couple of days, we were really hoping and praying for a miracle. But the hope that we ultimately were able to rest in was the hope that now he is with Jesus. He is without any pain or fear or sadness because he lived a life full of hope and faith in his Savior. And that is the kind of amazing hope that Jesus offers us. In a scripture reading in Isaiah 9 that represents the hope candle, it paints this picture of God's people living in darkness, just waiting for a savior to change their situation, bring in this new kingdom, a righteous kingdom. And Isaiah 9 too says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. And as I read this, I was thinking that maybe this year, more than any other years, we can really relate to living in the land of darkness. We feel that need for, for hope and light in a time that feels so full of chaos. But even though this year has really highlighted the darkness that the enemy tries to throw at us, I think that just means that the light of the hope of Jesus can shine even brighter. It can stand out even more against that darkness. Because the amazing thing about light is that darkness really can never win against it. Even the smallest amount of light can overcome a huge amount of darkness. When I was growing up, I got to go on this caving field trip and the tour guide took us into the middle of the cave and she had us turn out all the lights. We turned off all the flashlights and, and she had us experience total darkness. And we couldn't even see our own hands in front of our faces. It was the weirdest feeling to experience. But then she lit a match and she showed us how even a tiny flame could light up all the darkness in that entire cave. And I think even the smallest amount of God's hope in our lives can overcome all that darkness around us. And so if we are people who have seen that great light that Isaiah talks about, if we're people who know Jesus, then we have to share that light with other people that are still walking in darkness. And one of my favorite stories in the Bible of people who showed God's light of hope in the dark world they lived in is in Daniel 3. And if you know it, it's the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they lived in this dark world called Babylon. And when they had refused to bow down and worship the gold statue that the king set up, he ordered them to be thrown into a fiery furnace. And I think their response is just so full of hope. First, they tell their king that their God can rescue them. But in Daniel 3, 18, they say, but even if he does not rescue us, 
We want you as king to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you set up. I think that is hope to say no matter what, we are gonna obey God and live for him, not because it's the comfortable thing to do or the convenient thing to do, because we know it's the right thing to do. We know that's what we're called to do. And so we can shine a light in our dark world when we live with that same kind of hope in God that says, even if he does not. The kind of hope that says, God, I pray that you would fix this situation in my family, but even if you do not, I know I can trust you. I know I can keep living for you. And the kind of hope that says, God, I pray that you would take away this pain that I'm feeling, but even if you do not, I know that you're here with me. I know that you have a plan for my life. And the kind of hope that says, God, I pray for you to take this sickness away from my loved one. But even if you do not, I know that you're good. I know that you still love us. We can live with that kind of hope that even if God doesn't rescue us from whatever tough situation we're in, we know that he has already rescued us from sin and death once, and that is enough. And so if we look at this hope passage here in Isaiah 9, verse 6 goes on to say, For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And when Isaiah wrote this prophecy that God gave him about Jesus, God's people still had so long to wait for him. But they had this hope that he was coming. And we are so blessed that we don't have to keep waiting and hoping for a savior. In this Christmas season, we get to celebrate that a son was given to us, a child was born. That same child grew up to live a perfect, sinless life. He died a death that he didn't deserve for our sins so that we could live a life full of hope. The kind of hope of knowing that there is nothing that can separate us from God's love or his presence. The hope of knowing that we have the Holy Spirit to guide us and empower us here on earth. And the hope of knowing that if we follow Jesus, we're gonna get to experience a perfect eternal life one day in heaven. So thank you God for sending Jesus, the light of hope into our dark world. Good morning, church. Uh, first, I just want to start off by wishing you guys a Merry Christmas and uh, say that we made it. <laughs> it's, uh, man, it's, it's crazy to look back at the year we've had and think that events like this, the getting together and celebrating Christmas together uh, might not have happened. Um, so I'm thankful uh, that we get this opportunity. Um, it's been a tough year, but... To say that it's been a tough year, I believe, is the understatement of the century. Um, and I know that it looks different for every person here, but, um, you know, I don't think anyone, I haven't met you at least, uh, the person that would say, you know, this year has been fantastic. It's been a great year. I know for me and my family, and um, for us, it feels almost like this whole year has been going from one crisis to another just trying to make it through, just trying to do the best we can. And then we get this season of Christmas that's in the horizon. And we're just looking at that, just thinking, dear God, if we can just 
make it to that season because it's, it's a season that's very important in our house. It's uh, one that my wife takes a ton of time to make sure that it's special in our house. We've got four kids, and so she prepares all these different advents, uh, Advent events to build up to Christmas morning. And then in Christmas morning, we all gather together before we get into any presents or do anything like that. And we, you know, get the kids in their pajamas and we get in our, in our bed and all cuddle up and uh, we read uh, Luke 2. And uh, we just take a moment just to slow down before the hustle and the bustle of Christmas happens and just focus on what's really important. I mean, I was talking to a friend of mine this week on the phone and we were just talking about those very things of just how these canceled events and just the craziness that is 2020. And for the first time since I've been on this earth, we're not going to be going to my grandparents' house, um, which again, with the tragedies that have happened this year, I know that that's, that's minute, but that, that's a big deal. Um, and we were just talking about these canceled events, change of plans, and just how everything seems to be changing. And it's not the year that anyone, any one of us would have chosen but I very much believe that God in, in his infinite wisdom, power, and authority has given us the year that we needed, um, that we've had to take a moment to slow down, that he has quieted the noise, and now it is up to us to focus in on what's important. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. I'm excited and humbled to get to talk to you about love. And I'm going to be reading from Philippians 2, verses 1 through 11. And the thing about love is, is if we look to the world for example of love, we're going to be deceived. Uh, see, the world offers a selfish kind of love that says that, you know, I'll love you or I'll love as long as I get something back in return. Um, and then often what we do is we love through the lens of love that we have perceived. And what I mean by that is we love in the way that, that we have received love. So if we come from a background to where we have not received the best example of love, that is often how we in turn love others. But see, what Paul wanted to do in his letter to the church in Philippi is, is have us look through a new lens, have us rethink how we love and what he wanted to do because his letter was pointed to the church in Philippi. So he is speaking to a body of believers and he's calling us to remember and recall the love that God has shown us. And then reminds us of the example, and that's what we celebrate at Christmas, the example that is Jesus Christ. And with those two, we are now empowered through the Holy Spirit to go out and radically love those around us. And that's the challenge as we talk about this topic of love. That's the challenge of, of, for all of us is to change the lens in which we look at love through, to reflect on what God has done for us, through us, and to us. Look at the example that is Jesus Christ and then go out and love those accordingly around us. Verses one says this, it says, if then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interest, but rather to the interests of others. See, Paul starts off this letter by 
asking these rhetorical questions. See, he's expecting that as a body of believers, those that are in relationship with Jesus Christ, that you've experienced these things in that relationship. He says that you should have felt the consolation of love and that you should have fellowship with the Spirit and therefore that we're supposed to go in love and have fellowship with those around us based on our relationship with God. And he says, if there is any affection and mercy, see, we should have received affection and mercy in a correct relationship with God and should then go out and offer that same to those around us. But see, the wonderful thing about our God is he doesn't just give us his word that Paul is talking about here and how to go out and love those around us because it is stark contrast to the way that the world loves so what Paul does is he recounts the example, the perfect example that is Jesus Christ that we celebrate at Christmas, his coming to earth. And he says in verse five, he says, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at that name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." See, Paul reminds us of the greatest example of how to love properly is all wrapped up in Jesus Christ, and that is what we celebrate at Christmas. See, it's a radical love that, as Romans 5, 8 tells us, that God has displayed his love towards us, that even while we were sinners, he sent his son to die for us. Now, in imitating Christ and a God love, we may not have to lay down our lives for those around us, but we are called to lay down our wants, our desires, to go out and humbly serve those that are around us. What that also means is when we look at God's love for us, we realize that when Christ looks at us, thank God he doesn't see our mistakes. He doesn't see our shortcomings. He doesn't see our failures. What he sees is creation that was made in the image of God the Father and is in desperate need for a Savior. So likewise, when we go out, what do we see? What lens of love are we looking at those around us through? Do we see mistakes? Do we see failures and ideologies and differences? Now, differences are awesome. We should celebrate our differences. But man, we've done a good job this year of making differences something to hate other people about. But see, we should, through a lens of God's love, look out and see creation. We should see someone that was created in the image of God and is desperately in need of a Savior. So be encouraged this Christmas season. Know without a doubt that God loves you, and he displayed it through his son, Jesus Christ. And through the word of our Lord, the Bible, through our experiences as being a Christ follower, and through the experience and the example that is Jesus Christ and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, we have everything that we need 
to go out and love those that are around us. So Merry Christmas, and I love you guys. Good morning. Here to talk about joy, and that was a pretty joyful uh, experience there watching that video. My name is Mary Dell Williams, and I am excited to be able to share a thought from God's Word and um, what it means to experience joy that comes from God. The passage of Scripture I was assigned is Matthew chapter 1, beginning at verse 18, very familiar. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant with the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophets. The virgin shall give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did exactly what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Like many of you here, I'm assuming, I've worn a lot of hats in my day. I've carried a lot of titles. But I will tell you, none of those have brought me more joy, given me more challenge, or educated me more than the title of mom. Three kids call me mom. It's been a long time ago, but I can still remember those occasions on which that last day at the hospital, they hand you that little guy wrapped up in a blanket, and the nurse wishes you good luck, jam all that stuff in the car, and you head home to start out on probably the most difficult task on the planet, that of being a parent to that little bundle of joy. Those first few months of parenting, I could remember, still remember, you become consumed with this care of this little tyrant in a blanket. <laughs> Reality begins to sit in. You find yourself pacing the floor at night with this screaming, crying, trying to console an inconsolable little guy who cannot figure out what he wants. The days and the weeks and the months kind of go by in a tired kind of a blur, and all of a sudden you find yourself pacing the floor again trying to console an inconsolable, screaming, crying teenager who still can't figure out what in the world he wants. Amen? Somewhere in between the time of potty training and driver's training, you begin to look at each other and ask the rhetorical question, what were we thinking? Whose idea was this? Or in the Immortal words of George Bailey in the movie, It's a Wonderful Life. Why do we have all these kids anyway? In all fairness, you know, it's not the kids. It's us. 
It's us and our propensity to make decisions in the pursuit of happiness. It's why we go looking for love in all the wrong places. It's why we have storage complexes bulging with stuff that we've bought that we really didn't need anyway. It's why we buy expensive leather furniture and then we buy an expensive dog who thinks our expensive furniture looks like a giant chew toy. It's all about this pursuit of happiness. After all, we're guaranteed that, right? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Well, yes, kinda, sorta, you might say that. But happiness is dependent on happy things happening, and that is something that we are not guaranteed. That is why the pursuit comes up empty sometimes. While happiness can be pursued, joy, which is what the Creator actually endows, cannot. It's a gift. It's a gift straight from the heart of God, the gracious outcome of doing the right thing. In John chapter 15, Jesus tells his disciples, if you keep my commandments, you will live in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and I live in his love. And I tell you this so that the joy that I have can live in you and your joy may be complete. Jesus said it straight and we hear it crooked. Joy is a gift. Joy is often thought of as jumping up and down, screaming for joy, winning the lottery, or jumping up and down, screaming for joy because you're an Alabama fan at a Tennessee football game. But joy in the biblical sense can rather be described as a calm delight, a deep well springing up on the inside of you. The passage I read earlier reveals something about that deep well as seen in the character of Joseph, who was the man who was chosen to be the earthly father of the Son of God. In Joseph's side of the story, surprisingly, we can see a pathway to this gift of joy that has come straight from God. First of all, the first thing you know about Joseph is Joseph knew God, and God knew him. Obviously, if an angel shows up in your dream and calls you by name, it's a pretty good sign that God knows who you are. And that's what happened in Joseph's life. In Joseph also, we see a radical obedience to God. He had a call of God on his life. And even when what he bargained for was not exactly what he got, he obeyed. The scripture we read shows that Joseph immediately scrapped his plans and obeyed God even though a pregnant bride was probably not what he had envisioned all along. Joseph obeyed God, and that is a deep well. Joseph exhibited complete surrender to the will of God, even when, and especially when, it didn't make any sense. A thoughtful person like the man Joseph would have heard the words of the angel explaining Mary's pregnancy and would have thought to himself, that doesn't make a lick of sense. There is not an ounce of logic in that anywhere. But Joseph surrendered his right to understand, and that's a deep well. Joseph exhibited what I think is a deep commitment, that commitment that you make faithfully and without looking back, even when the fun and games just aren't that much fun anymore. Because as in Joseph's life, the same as in our lives many times, 
The story gets more complicated as it goes along, and the original commitment is nothing compared to what comes next, and that's a deep well. So Joseph, this unremarkable character who likely didn't even live long enough to see Jesus grow up, shows us the pathway to joy just as surely as the star showed the wise men the way to the manger. Joy comes not as something that we chase down like we pursue happiness, but as a result of knowing God, radical obedience, complete surrender, and faithful commitment. Had Joseph decided that the risk was just too great, you know, he could have just held on to his unremarkable life. He could have kept his home. He could have kept his standing in the community. He could have kept his life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And if he had, we would have never known who he was. He would have forfeited his marriage to marry the mother of the Christ child. He would have never known the joy of guiding Jesus' tender little hands, the hands of creator God, to learn the trade of carpentry. He would have never known the joy of looking at that young man, astound the scholars in the temple with his wisdom, and being able to say with a wink and a nod, that's my boy. Which brings me back to those three kids of ours. By the grace of God, they all turned out remarkably well. Their dad and I are still together, and we enjoy oh so much seeing them get their payback in remarkably familiar ways as they raise their own little bundles of joy. It wasn't easy. Unlike the Hallmark Christmas movies, not everything was merry and bright. But tough assignments, whether it's parenting or any other huge calling, are designed for us to know God and to trust his faithfulness, to learn obedience and surrender and commitment, and to receive gifts we didn't earn and we sure don't deserve, like joy. Thank God for his indescribable gift. Good morning. My name is Regina Ward. My husband Alden and I have been attending here at The Experience since 2018. We have the pleasure to be a part of a small group that's led by Pastor Mike Lee and his wife Dina. Pastor Mike is a wonderful teacher, but Dina is the real gem in the situation, if you met her. Um, I would just urge each of you as we embark upon a new year, if you aren't a part of a small group, consider it. It's a life-changing opportunity. I was given the candle of peace. And if I'm being really honest, it's a strange concept considering the year that 2020 has been. Earlier in the year, around the summer, um, I was digging and planting some flowers in the front yard. So I'm on my knees, and I find myself talking to the Lord and saying, God, when is this overwhelming angst, um, fear, stress going to end? And to just kind of give you all a frame of reference for where I was at, um, I'm not going to say how old she is, but my mama had a big birthday this year, and um, I hadn't hugged her in months. We'd lost several friends and um, extended family members to COVID, and personally, I was on my fifth round of fertility treatments, and I wasn't pregnant. I felt terrible. 
and our world felt like it was crumbling around us. Everyone seemed to hate each other. No one seemed to feel like they could have a conversation even with their friends. And that felt hurtful. So as I'm sitting there that day in the yard, I could feel my grandmother's arms around me and I could hear her voice singing, it is well with my soul. And I started crying. <laughs> you see, I grew up in a small church on the Las Casas Milton line area and we sang hymns there every Sunday. And we loved hymns, and my grandmother loved singing them. And they always brought a sense of calm to my life, even when I felt like life was not calm. You see, the memory of her singing that in my ear happened in a time in our life when things were not calm and they were not well. Um, early in the summer before I started first grade, my father had a massive heart attack and passed away. So we lost daddy. My mama lost her best friend and her husband. And we had to figure out how to keep going. And that morning, Sunday morning, which sometimes just makes Sundays really hard if I'm being honest with you guys. Um, that Sunday morning, my grandmother held me as the ambulance drove away that morning and sang, it is well with my soul. You see, the scripture that I was asked to read today comes from John chapter 16, verse 33. In it, Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. I'm quite certain that my grandmother did not feel at peace in the months and years following watching her daughter pick up the pieces to her life. However, she and my grandfather had instilled a deep love for the Lord in my mother's heart. And I know that was sustaining her then, and it still sustains her to this day. So she decided that she was going to be courageous. And every day, I would hear her humming and singing and often quoting this scripture from Lamentations. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. And she would sing, great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. She decided to dig deep, find her roots, planted in the Bible. And what I know now is a child watching her and my grandmother dig into the word, find their roots in the hard moments, is that that's what we have to do too. I know, and I'll remind you all, that the scripture promises that we will have suffering in this world. But if we keep going we read, be courageous, for I have conquered the world. It is a promise that our lives are not going to be easy. We're gonna have suffering and we're going to have hard times. But if we can be courageous 
and know that the Lord has conquered our chaos, and as my grandmother would say, our general tomfoolery of the world, we know that he is here in the middle of our mess. So that day in my front yard, I began humming the same songs that brought me so much peace as a child. I began quoting the same scriptures that sustained my family for generations to come and that sustained me now. And I ask all of you to remember, not just this time of the year, but always, that the reason we sing praises to our Lord, the reason we root ourselves in him, is because he has already made it well with our souls. He has given us new mercies each day, and he has called us his blessed peacemakers. And that really should sustain all of us. I hope you all have the merriest of Christmases. Everyone doing okay this morning? Good? Good, good, good. Hey, if you think about it, um, make sure you go over and, and tell the speakers how good of a job they did. They did a fantastic job this weekend, so yeah, they did a really, really wonderful job. Usually, um, and I think all of them kind of said it, usually those topics are easy, but this year has made the topics of peace, joy, love, and hope um, a little bit more complicated. So uh, yeah, please make sure you go over there and, and compliment them. Um, I was talking to Greg uh, Swords that works here, and he says this is his favorite time of the year because he gets to see me in a, in a button-up shirt with a collar. And I literally have to get the dust off these because I absolutely hate wearing them. So, um, but I do it for you. I do it for Greg. Put on these, put on these shirts. So um, I get to talk about Christ. And um, what, what's kind of neat about what I get to talk about is all the other wonderful things that the other speakers have said, none of those are possible without, without Christ. And some of the stuff I'm going to talk about today, not the scripture I read, it's a, it's a wonderful passage that I get to read, but some of the stuff that I'm going to say personally is, is heavy, um, and it even sounds a little negative at first, but the point is, is that this year, I think, at least for me, I don't know about for you, but I hope for Christians, we have, we have kind of relearned this year that the only stability we have is Jesus. Amen. The only hope we have is Jesus, the only thing that gives us peace and joy the only way we can feel love the way we should feel love <clears throat> is through Jesus. And so I get to read about his birth. This is from Luke chapter 2, and maybe this is probably the most famous um, of all the passages about, uh, about Jesus. Let me read this to you. It says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. The first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria, so everyone went to be registered, each to their own home. Joseph also went uh, up from, there, from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family line of David, to be registered with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no guest rooms available for them. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. 
today in the city of David, a savior was born for you who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped up tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly there's a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven, peace on earth to the people he favors. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem. Let's see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they hurried off and they found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And after seeing them, they reported the message that was told to them about the child and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and she was meditating on them. The shepherds returned and glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. So like I said earlier, I have relearned the most important lesson this year, that Jesus is the only hope that I or anyone else in this world has. I've seen that our hope cannot be in the government because the government is self-serving and it's unreliable. I've seen that my hope cannot be in health because as we've all seen this year, our health can be taken from us without warning. I've seen that our hope cannot be in economics because the economy can halt and jobs can instantly vanish. I've seen that our hope cannot be in mankind because mankind is weak in the face of adversity and divisive in times of confusion. We have truly seen the worst in humanity this year. I've seen that our hope cannot even be a weekly gathering of the saints because even that can be altered or even stopped for a time. Again, the only constant that I have seen, the only stability I have witnessed this year is Jesus. I don't wish you a Merry Christmas because everyone is healthy and rich. I don't wish you a Merry Christmas because our nation is secure and safe. I don't wish you a Merry Christmas because humanity is at its best. I wish you a Merry Christmas because the Savior has not only come, but he has always been here. I wish you a Merry Christmas because the God of the universe came to us as a vulnerable child and that child grew up to be a perfect sacrifice for the world. I wish you a Merry Christmas because the King is in his rightful and secure place, the throne of authority over all things and all people. And I wish you a Merry Christmas because that same King, Jesus Christ, loves you all very much. We have absolutely no idea what the future will bring, but Christ does. And if we put our trust in Jesus Christ, regardless of what happens in this life, we can have love, we can have peace, we can have joy, we can have hope. I wanted to personally tell all of you thank you. Thankful, I'm thankful that you're sitting in this room. I'm thankful if you're watching online. I can say uh, with all integrity and with all honesty, Kyle and I, the rest of my team, Every decision we've made this year, everything we've done, it's because we love you, because we care about you, and it has been an awful and, awful and, and, and difficult year. Awful, that's, that's combining those two. <laughs> that's 2020, awful. <laughs> but we wanna tell you the fact that you're still here, the fact that you haven't only been faithful to your church, but you've been faithful to the Lord, 
is the greatest gift you could ever give me. It's the greatest gift you could ever give Kyle or my team. Just stay true to Christ. Stay true to your brothers and sisters in Christ. And regardless of what happens in the world around us, we'll be okay. We'll be okay. Oh, man, I love you guys so much. Um, Hey, and listen, not to, not to get too serious um, during this, because this is a, this is a, a, a wonderful, comfortable, celebratory uh, service that we're doing. Um, but after saying everything that we have said this weekend and, and all these different things and talking about Jesus, listen, if you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you need to. If you are in this room, maybe you even know who he is, but you do not have a relationship with him. Listen, if 2020 has showed me anything, It is that we are absolutely lost without him. Not just lost for eternity. We're lost right here in the moment. We need Jesus Christ. And if you do not have him, listen, we're gonna have a pastor up here. Pastor Muhammad will be up here on my right, your left. If if you do not have a relationship with God, please come talk to him. Please just just ask him what to do and what's next and and let us us work you through, okay? Let Let us help you. There'll be men and women up here to pray for you if you need prayer. And listen, the last thing is you have communion in your hands. It's ironic. This week, I get to read, read to you about the birth of Jesus. Next week, we're gonna talk about the beginning of his crucifixion. That little boy that we celebrate for Christmas, you know, you see the little manger scenes and the nativity sets. That little boy grew up to be a man, and that man died for us, died for our sins. That was the son of God. That's what we celebrate And that communion reminds us that that little boy that we celebrate and we give gifts and we hang out with each other, that it's more than just a boy that was born. It was the God that came to earth that died for our sins. And he loves us so much. He loves you so much. If you do not have the hope and the joy and the peace and the love that only Christ can give us, please, please take advantage of that. Please accept that gift that he has for you. This last Thursday, we work a, a, a half day, not all of us, but like Kyle and I, we, we try to work, Kyle doesn't work a half day on Thursday, he has practice that night, but I work a half day on Thursday. And I just left here and I got a call from, from one family that's been coming here for several years that their 20-year-old son was, was killed in an accident. That was bothersome, I went and I, I spent time with the family and terrible, terrible. And about six hours later, I was outside in my backyard sitting by a, I made a little fire and I just needed to be alone and it was freezing, but I just needed to, to just be alone. I got a call from a woman that's been coming to church here for years and her 31-year-old daughter. Same day, had to go to St. Thomas and she was brain dead and her mom had to make the decision to, to, to pull the plug on her. I'm telling you all that to say, this life can be gone in an instant and without warning, Please take advantage of the moment that you have right now. Make sure you love people well. Make sure that you have a relationship with Christ so whatever comes your way, you are ready, you're prepared. The world cannot give you the things that we talked about this weekend. I hope you've seen that this year. The world is volatile, but Christ is secure and he's strong and he's good. Let me pray for you. Father, Lord, I love you. God, I love the, this is my family, Father. Lord, I have family. God, my mom's probably watching right now. 
I have a wife and kids, Lord, but this is my family, Lord. God, these are my brothers, these are my sisters that I care for and I love. Father, be with them this year and give them hope if they don't have it. Give them peace, give them love, give them joy, God. Lord, let them build a stronger relationship with you and if they don't have one, God, Lord, let them start that. Father, as we take communion, Lord, and as we sing this beautiful song, Lord, Silent Night, Lord, let us meditate, God, on, on not only did you, did you come, Lord, and, and be born in such a humble way that you grew up and you died for us, God, and you shed your blood for us, but Lord, let us find peace. Let us find joy. Let us find comfort and contentment during this crazy, chaotic season. We love you, God, and we thank you, Lord. Lord, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Merry Christmas, church. Love you guys.